Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on December the 21st, 2011. For newcomers, help yourself to the website cuttingthroughthematrix.com and hopefully you'll get shortcuts to understanding this big massive system we're going through, complete globalism of course, and the foundations, the organizations all work together to bring it about and many of the propagandists who wrote their books for them and belonged to these societies themselves. Yeah, and they did, uh, from even the late 1800s onwards, put out a lot of information on the future world, the world that they wanted to bring in. And at that time, they were so enraptured by uh, science that they believed a scientific society was the best type to have, where you're ruled by experts. And that's really where we are today. So help yourself to those audios and get the shortcuts to understanding. And uh, at the same time, remember, too, you're the audience that bring me to you. You can help me keep going by buying the books and discs at CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com website. And uh, from the U.S. to Canada, you can use a personal check or an international postal money order, some send cash, and you can also use PayPal to order. You'll see it all on the CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com website. Remember, too, they all carry, all my, all my sites carry the audios, but they carry transcripts in English of a lot of the talks I've given. And if you want transcripts in other languages, go into alanwatchsentinel.eu and help yourself to the variety offered there. Across the world, remember, it's Western Union, MoneyGram, and PayPal again. And donations are really awfully welcome uh, at all times. What I try to do, as I say, is chronicle events as we go through them. And uh, it brings me, it brings to memory uh, an article in the paper quite a few years back where one of the oldest men in the world, 115 he was in Mexico, committed suicide. And in his suicide note, this is genuine, he said he was so sick of seeing the same stories in the newspapers, the same promises by politicians, the same corruption go on generation after generation. And he didn't see anything to look forward to. Well, we're almost at that stage today because everything is propaganda, special interest groups, and uh, and again, the big organizations, they're bringing uh, us all to this, this new reality, this new globalist and globalized system. You always get the children at school and you take it from there. And that way they'll grow up into what they think is quite normal. We all do. We've all done it before in, in generation by generation. Whatever exists when you're born is normal to you, even though big changes may have happened during your parents' lifetime, and they seldom speak about them. We take everything for granted as cultural, everything uh, for granted, wherever it happens to be. We're so easily trained. But today, with all the experts working on our heads, our minds, propaganda, indoctrination at school, uh, movies, uh, general television, uh, we have perception management, as they call it, and everything today is perception management, not reality. It's how it's presented to you, and that gives you uh, your perceptions, and you think you know all about it then, whatever the item or topic happens to be. And as I say, the big organizations that started this, this movement towards globalism uh, had decided in the 1800s that they would not let Germany come up to the, the, the pinnacle point 
and they actually the same group caused the Boer War. It's in it's in their own histories actually that they brought on the Boer War and blamed it on the Dutch. So they grab all the oil field, the, the gold field, and the, the gold and the diamonds really of uh, southern Africa as it expanded. And they also from the late 1800s were fomenting the propaganda for a war which ended up being World War One with Germany. Quite amazing group. Uh, even Churchill condemned it when he found out the impact it had on the, on the British history. And the, and the same group even had all their authors writing the history for each generation of school children. What a racket, eh? There's, there's planning for you in coordination. Back with more after this break. Folks, I'm back and cutting through the matrix. Science is a big thing, of course, and science uh, you might think is independent, but it's not really because all funding uh, generally comes from government for any big project today, and uh, has been for a long time. Roads, everything is big projects, and uh, private investors are un- really unwilling to go into it in case they come out with a dud or, or they lose. So when government gets on board with anything, they direct where funding goes. They can also collect funding from private foundations too, of course, and those with special interests like the Rockefeller Foundation have funded lots of various scientific endeavors, mainly to do with eugenics and things like that because that's one of their specialities there. But you'll find that the big companies now like IBM, IBM is a massive player in the world as I say, when they, when they have one of their big, big meetings, every top corporation attends it because IBM sets the lead. In other words, if you want to change society, like Skinner said, you put something different in their environment. That's how you change people and their behavior. You modify their behavior. Whether it's sitting staring at TV, whereas the previous generation were not doing it, that's changing behavior. Now it's the Internet and, um, and many other gizmos and gadgets to keep you occupied. So technology will always alter our behavior, and again, it has to be directed, and therefore those at the top direct the funding into this, those certain projects because they know where they want to take society. And we can pretty well tell today that governments across the world uh, are all on board, uh, as I've said before, for the same global agenda and austerity and, and bringing down uh, the first world countries, the more wealthy countries, through taxation, and spreading the wealth, as they call it, the old Marxian concept of uh, redistribution of wealth across the world. It's here already. It's, it's been done. And we take it in a stride because most folk now, especially the young ones who are taught about communism, they all think communism is a nice sort of idea. Uh, they helped a lot of people, and that's all they know about it. They all work together for, for something. Well, they were forced to work together, or you were buried under the, the, under the, the fields that you were farming. But anyway... Uh, this article here is about IBM, and it says here, IBM predicts that mind-reading machines are on their way. Now, when they say something, they've, they've gone far with the project already, and often it's an old thing to them, but it's secret, uh, and of course we don't get it until much, much later. Most inventions are like that. Most real advances are like that. And we've already seen, I'm sure everyone's seen the different uh, mainstream articles on from Japan and different places where they can actually tap into the 
the septal lobe of the brain uh, and see what you're actually looking at and, uh, and put it up on a computer. We also know DARPA was putting chips in quadriplegics' brains years ago and they could actually put out a thought that would move the cursor, send emails and things like that. So now they're, they're far, far beyond that because uh, maybe two years ago or three, I, I mentioned an article from, from Windows or Microsoft and it was uh, to do with rather than just make helmets that would interface with the computer, uh, they could actually use the frame of the computer to beam uh, basically waves to your brain and uh, massage your brain, as they called it at the time, different parts of your brain, and make you think certain things. But if you go the other way around, it could also pick up what you're thinking when you think about it. So this technology is already here. IBM 5 and 5 predictions were based on societal trends and research which the New York State-based company expected to begin bearing fruit by the year 2017. From Houdini to Skywalker to X-Men, mind-reading has merely been wishful thinking for science fiction fans for decades, but their wish may soon come true, IBM said, in its annual assessment of innovations on the horizon. The scientists are among those researching how to link your brain to your devices, such as a computer or a smartphone. It continued. Sweden was in the lead for this. They used Sweden for, for many years, even back in the 70s, where they got uh, life convicts, lifelong convicts, and uh, they gave them deals where they'd get some years off for extra perks in prison if they allowed these little devices to be wired into their brain and up to, up to computers. This is old stuff. IBM gave the examples of ringing someone up just by thinking it or willing a cursor to move on a computer screen. Biological makeup will become the key to personal identity with retina scans of recognition of faces or voices used to confirm uh, who people are rather than typing in passwords the company forecast. I remember when I first saw, I think it was Demolition Man, and the bad guy, of course, grabs the, the, the eyeball out of the scientist or, or his keeper, jailkeeper, and uses that to get through the thing. So there'll be horrific stories coming up in the paper in the future where they just hack off your head and, and use that too. This is obvious. Real, real criminals won't take long to figure this one out. Anyway, it says here, imagine you were able to walk up to an AT machine to securely withdraw money simply by speaking your name or looking into a tiny sensor that can recognize unique patterns in the retina of your eye. Or by doing the same, you can check your account balance on your mobile phone or tablet, continued. Technology will also be able to produce electric power from any types of movement, from walking or bicycle riding to water flowing through pipes of homes. I guess it's to replace your electricity, which you won't be able to afford. So it's all kinetic energy basically transferred into batteries that they go on about and on about it. But then they've got the list of the other things that are going to change your life, supposedly. And it will. These things will change culture and behavior and everything. And this article here is about IBM again. Um, uh, there's two on the same thing. I'll put them up tonight and you can read through uh, their people power will come to life, it says. Well, when the people do anything by themselves with an original thought, I'll, I'll leave the planet. But anyway, there's another article here to do with Fukushima because at the time we all watched those charts coming as, as radiation, radiation was getting blown across into Canada and the States and for weeks before the governments all pulled them down. And then luckily we found university ones that continued with them, showed them, and then they pulled them down too. But uh, you say, what, what is all this radiation going to do to you? Well, the study is U.S. deaths are tied to Fukushima disaster fallout. And it says, um, it's estimated 14,000 excess deaths in the United States are linked 
to the radioactive fallout from the disaster at Fukushima nuclear reactors in Japan, according to a major new article in the December 2011 edition of the International Journal of Health Services. It's the first peer-reviewed study published in the medical journal documenting the health hazards of Fukushima. And authors Joseph Mangano and Janet Sherman note that the estimate of 14,000 excess U.S. deaths in the 14 weeks after the Fukushima, this was only for 14 weeks, after the Fukushima meltdowns is comparable to the 16,500 excess deaths in the 17 weeks after the Chernobyl meltdown in 1986. The rise in reported deaths after Fukushima was largest amongst U.S. infants under age 1. The 2010 to 11 increase for infant deaths in the spring was 1.8% compared to a decrease of 8.37% in the preceding 14 weeks. Six days after the disastrous meltdown struck four reactors at Fukushima on March 11, scientists detected the plume of toxic fallout that had arrived over American shores. So it was in the water and everything. Subsequent measurements of the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency found levels of radiation in air, water, and milk hundreds of times above normal across the U.S. The highest detected levels of iodine-131 and precipitation in the U.S. were as follows, and it gives you the, the, different, um, the different percentages and so on. But, uh, so anyway, uh, it'll continue because this, uh, one of the reactors especially is still giving off plumes once in a while, and uh, the stuff blows generally towards this direction over Hawaii. Uh, they got badly hit, to you know that, and then uh, San Francisco, California, and then up towards the Great Lakes and into Canada. That's the pattern that was taking most of the time. And we've all heard about the scandals of the money. Well, it's just amazing. I mean, government now acts like a bank and just dishing out cash or grants to, again, special interest groups. And, and, and that's why they love uh, sustainability and everything that's being promoted now, austerity, sustainability, etc., etc., greening and all the big plans that the Club of Rome dreamt up a long time ago. But the Chevy, the Chevy Volt, I guess that's what they call the cars, an all-electric car, costing taxpayers up to $250,000, or 250000 yeah, is per vehicle. It says, this might be the most government-supported car since the Trabants. It says, each Chevy Volt sold uh, thus far may have as much as $250,000 in state and federal dollars in incentives behind it, a total of $3 billion altogether, according to an analysis by James Homan, uh, Assistant Director of Fiscal Policy at the Mackinac Center for Public Policy. He looked at the total sale and federal assistance offered for the development and production of the Chevy Volt, General Motors' plug-in hybrid electric vehicle. His analysis included 18 government deals that included loans, rebates, grants, and tax credits. The amount of government assistance does not include the fact that General Motors is currently 26% owned by the federal government. Then they show you how they, they worked all of this out. And I think the only, only uh, stipulation was that they had to employ so many workers, etc. And it says, too, they may or may not meet the targets for that, for all these different grants. But there you go. I mean, if you want big business today, just start something that's involved in sustainability. Whatever the, the trend is getting pushed is, that's where you go. And you'll get all the money you want. What a world, eh? What a world. And this article, too, from the Haaretz, it's an Israeli paper. They call it a left-wing one. But it says, a senior foreign ministry official told Haaretz that uh, what would have been a mundane discussion, this is about the recent withdrawal of settlers uh, from one of the banks there, and they burned down mosques behind them, apparently. 
uh, and it's been quietened down in the media, but uh, anyway, it says here, what a bit of a Monday discussion turned into an attack on Israel led by Russia's UN envoy, Vitaly Churkin, along with Indian, Brazilian, and South African representatives. It says also European uh, United Nations Security Council members joined in as well. The only country reportedly not engaging in the unusual bout of criticism was the United States. Discussion's focal point were the so-called price tag attacks against Palestinians in the West Bank, continued settler construction, and claims according to which Israel refused to provide the quartet, that's that four-part group that Tony Blair is part of, uh, with the stances on issues such as borders and security arrangements, etc., and that's to why they, they burned down all the mosques when those settlers pulled out recently. So we'll be back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm back cutting through the matrix. Now, I've mentioned before about Homeland Security really arming uh, the police in the U.S., which does not bode good, really doesn't. Something's coming down the pike. And uh, looking at Britain and other countries, too, they're in an awful mess in Europe with all the, the financial chaos. It doesn't surprise me. And does it fit in with the agenda, the global agenda? It definitely fits in with austerity if you can get brought down from a, a higher lifestyle to a much, much lower lifestyle. A lot of people are not going to be too happy with it at all. But anyway, it says a decade of billions in spending in the name of Homeland Security has armed local police departments with military-style equipment and a new commando mentality. But has it gone too far? Andrew Becker and G.W. Schultz of the Centre for Investigative Reporting say this. Nestled amid plains so flat, the locals joke you can watch your dog run away for miles. Fargo treasured its placid lifestyle. It's in North Dakota, its largest city. It's averaged fewer than two homicides a year since 2005. There's not been a single international terrorism prosecution in the last decade. But that hasn't stopped authorities in Fargo and its surrounding county from going on an average or an $8 million buying spree to arm police officers with sort of gear once reserved only for soldiers fighting foreign wars. This happening all over the place, though, isn't it? Every city's squad car is equipped today with a military-style assault rifle, and officers can don Kevlar helmets able to stand incoming fire from battlefield-grade or battlefield-grade ammunition. And for that epic confrontation, if it ever occurs, officers can now summon a new $256,643 armored truck, complete with a rotating turret. For now, though, the menacing truck is used mostly for training and appearances at the annual city picnic. That's where they get used to all this stuff and put balloons in it and you forget it's a killing machine. (laughs) Where it's been parked near the children's bounce house. Where else would you put it? Most people are so fascinated by it because nothing happens here, says Carol Archibald, a Fargo resident criminal justice professor at North Dakota State University. There's no terrorism here. Like Fargo, thousands of other local police departments nationwide have been amassing stockpiles of military-style equipment in the name of Homeland Security, aided by more than $34 billion in federal grants since the September 11, 2001 attacks. Um, it says the Daily Beast investigation conducted by the Center for Investigative Reporting has found. And it gives you some of the other uh, buying sprees that have gone on too. The buying spree has transformed local police departments into small 
army-like forces and put intimidating equipment into the hands of civilian officers. And that's raising questions about whether the strategy has gone too far, creating a culture and capability that jeopardizes public safety and civil rights while creating an expensive false sense of security. The argument for up-armoring, armoring, they call it up-armoring, is always based on the least likely of terrorist scenarios, says Mark Randall, former terrorism expert at the Congressional Research Service, non, the non-partisan research arm of Congress. Anyone can get a gun and shoot up stuff, no amount of SWAT equipment can stop that. Local police bristle at the suggestions that they become militarized, arguing that upgrading firepower and other equipment is necessary to combat criminals with more lethal capabilities. They point to the 1997 Los Angeles area bank robbers who pinned police for hours with assault weapons, the gun-wielding student who perpetrated the Virginia Tech massacres in 2007, and a terrorist who waged a bloody rampage in Mumbai, India, that left 164 people dead and 300 wounded in 2008. The new weaponry and battle gear, they insist, helps save lives in the face of such threats. So they don't see it as militarizing. They're the ones who, only ones who are blind, I guess. Indoctrination's awfully good for that, isn't it? See, if you join the military too, they change an ordinary person into a killer. That's, that's what you go, that's what they do. That's their job. Ads Fargo Police Lieutenant Ross Renner, who commands regional SWAT team, it's foolish not to be cognizant of the threats out there, where it's in New York, Los Angeles, or Fargo. Our residents have the right to be protected. We don't have everyday threats here when it comes to terrorism, but we are asked to be prepared. So it's sad. It's a sad situation uh, when the culture goes this way. It's militarized. But then again, we're all militarized by the movies and television uh, serials that they put on all the time. This next article is about Novartis. Novartis, I think, did the same thing last year. They put us out every year, how they're preparing uh, plants for the next pandemic. And I, I've said before, I mean, who, what, what department of government is Novartis? This is private pharma, you know. Is it now an agency of government? Because government now is, is again, throwing cash out like crazy uh, at these, these organizations, these pharma companies, and making 10-year deals for flu shots and so on. It's a great business, isn't it? Pharmaceutical giant Novartis on Monday declared its $1 billion vaccine production plant, the first such facility of its kind, ready to inoculate Americans against the next global pandemic outbreak. When was the last one? Gleaming in the outskirts of the small community, sprawling laboratories more than four years in the making, it's designed to supply emergency vaccine to one in every four U.S. residents during a pandemic. I guess you draw straws, eh? An event so unusual that only four have swept the globe in the past century, most recently in 2009. The facility produced its first three batches of pandemic flu vaccine Friday, about 6.5 million doses of the watery-looking stuff in pre-dosed glass vials ready for injection, all designated for the U.S. emergency stockpile. Uh, since it's the nation's first mass-scale plant that makes vaccines from animal cell culture rather than chicken eggs, a considerable advantage if an avian flu outbreak were to kill off the chickens that lay the eggs needed to make vaccines, says Vas Narasham Shimhan, president of Novartis Vaccines USA. It's in Massachusetts. About 400 scientists and other specialists work here, a workforce that is expected to grow more than 500 next year. Department of Health and Human Services paid $487 million towards the 430,000 square foot complex as part of a national public safety program. You know, as I say, if you want a business, you, you got to look at what's popular and just dive in there. Back with more after this break.
You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi, folks. I'm back, cutting through the matrix. Now, John Pilger has been a journalist for many, many years, and he's put out lots of documentaries uh, about really big business and corporations and wars across the world. Uh, and he's presented a lot of good facts, too, uh, about how things really work, how things really work, and that really all the wars are economic wars, as Mark said. But... Uh, this article here is to denounce uh, the propaganda that's being spewed out about Iran right now. So this is what he says. On May 20, uh, 2007, the Guardian's front page announced uh, Iran's secret plan for murder, summer offensive to force U.S. out of Iraq. This, the writer was Simon Tisdall, and he claimed that Iran had secret plans to defeat American troops in Iraq, which included forging ties with al-Qaeda elements. The coming showdown, it's called, was an Iranian plot to influence a vote in the U.S. Congress. Based entirely on briefings by anonymous U.S. officials, Tisdall's exclusive rippled with lurid tales of Iran's murder cells and daily acts of war against U.S. and British forces. His 1,200 words included just 20 for Iran's flat denial. And, and that's how really these articles are presented to us. Generally, the articles are, are just one-liners, you know. Because, as, as uh, Jack Shalom said, this is the propaganda generally is a simplistic, very, very simplistic stuff. But they also use uh, journalists to get, write more complicated stuff and, and uh, more, tell more lies. And lots of, uh, just like the CIA have guys placed around the U.S. media, then Britain has its MI5 as well. And some MI6 is uh, included in, in all television and uh, newspapers as well. So, this, anyway, this guy put out, Tisdall put out the propaganda uh, as they were building up, getting our minds ready for today, really. This is how they do it. They work ahead of time. That's geopolitics. They also have the social politics where they, they work on your minds for years before you even know it. Anyways, he says, it was a load of rubbish. And the facts of Pentagon press release presented as journalism and reminiscent of the notorious fiction that justified the blood invasion of Iraq in 2003. Among Tisdall's sources were senior advisors to General David Petraeus, the U.S. military commander, who in 2006 described his strategy of waging a war of perceptions conducted continuously through the news media. A war of perceptions conducted continuously through the news media. That's how they prepare you all, all of you. The media war against Iran began in 1979 when the West's placeman, in other words, the guy they put in power, Mohammad Reza Shah Pavlavi, a tyrant, was overthrown in a popular Islamic revolution. The loss of Iran, which under the Shah was regarded as the fourth pillar of Western control in the Middle East, has never been forgiven in Washington and London, and that's true. It's so true. It's, it's almost like the Seventh Cavalry. You know, have you ever read uh, the Seventh Cavalry? And of course, you sit and bull and the rest of them and crazy horse. They 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 wiped them out basically uh, as they retaliated against uh, being shoved out of their homelands. And then years later, you find that the, who did they put in charge of escorting all the Indians in the, in the snow in the winter to this new inhospitable place? They decided to plonk them on uh, the Seventh Cavalry, and they wiped them out on the road. <laughs> Because, you see, their pride had been hurt for pride of the regiment. 
and they wiped him out at Crazy Horse. Anyway, that's by the by. Yet they, but they never forgive, you see. Last month, the Guardian's front page carried another so-called exclusive. MOD prepares, Minister of Defense prepares to take part in U.S. strikes against Iran. Again, anonymous officials were quoted. This time the theme was the threat posed by the prospect of an Iranian nuclear weapon. The latest evidence was warmed over documents obtained from a laptop in 2004 by U.S. intelligence and passed to the International Atomic Energy Agency. Numerous authorities have cast doubt on these suspected forgeries, including a former IAEA chief weapons inspector. A U.S. diplomatic cable released by WikiLeaks described the new head of the, the IAEA, uh, Yakio Amano, he's Japanese, is, is solidly in the U.S. court and ready for prime time. So he's on board with it all. So the Guardian's 3rd November exclusive and, and the speed with which the propaganda spread across the media were also prime time. So remember getting back to what, what General Petraeus said, right? He, he says, a war of perceptions conducted continuously through the media, through the news media. So the Guardian's exclusive and speed with which the propaganda spread across the media were also prime time. This is known as information dominance by the media trainers at the Ministry of Defense's PSYOPs, Psychological Warfare Establishment, at Chicksands, Bedfordshire, who share premises with instructors of the interrogation methods that have led to a public inquiry into British military torture in Iraq. Disinformation and the barbarity of colonial warfare have historically had much in common. This is having beckoned a criminal assault in Iran. The Guardian opined that this would, of course, be madness. Similar arse covering was developed or uh, deployed when Tony Blair, once a mystical hero in polite liberal circles, plotted with George W. Bush and caused a bloodbath in Iraq. With Libya recently dealt with, it worked, said the Guardian. Iran is next, it seems. The role of respectable journalism in Western state crimes from Iraq to Iran, Afghanistan to Libya, remains taboo. It is currently deflected by the media theatre of the Levison Inquiry into phone hacking, which Daily Telegraph's Benedict Brogan describes as a useful stress test. Blame Rupert Murdoch and the tabloids for everything, and business can continue as usual. As disturbing as the stories are from Lord Levison's witness stand, they do not compare with the suffering of the countless victims of journalism's warmongering. The lawyer Phil Shriner who has forced a public inquiry into British military's criminal behaviour in Iraq, says that embedded journalism provides a cover for the killing of hundreds of civilians killed by British forces when they had custody of them, often subjecting them to the most extraordinary brutal things involving sexual acts. Well, you know, society's had it, as far as I'm concerned. It's too degraded now. Embedded journalism is never, ever going to get close to hearing their story. It's hardly surprising the Ministry of Defence in a 2,000-page document leaked to WikiLeaks describes investigative journalists, journalists who do their job, as a threat greater than terrorism. So you wonder why, if there's a few uh, real journalists out there who you wonder, they get close to things but they can't go any further, it's because they're terrified to. I mean, terrified to. When the military... And those guys who send out the guys for the wet jobs, you know, they bump you off, uh, are, are, are getting taught that these journalists are a threat greater than terrorism. And you think you're in a free society. In the week The Guardian published its exclusive about military defence planning for an attack on, on Iran, General Sir David Richards, Britain's military chief, went on a secret visit to Israel, which is a genuine nuclear weapons outlaw and exempt from media opprobrium. 
Richards is a highly political general who, like Petraeus, has worked the media to considerable advantage. No journalist in Britain revealed that he went to Israel to discuss an attack on Iran. Honourable exceptions aside, such as the tenacious work of the Guardian's Ian Cobain and Richard Norton Taylor, our increasingly militarised society is reflected in much of our media culture. Two of Blair's most important functionaries in his mendacious blood-drenched adventure in Iraq, Alastair Campbell and Jonathan Powell, enjoy a cosy relationship with the liberal media. Their opinions sought on worthy subjects while the blood in Iraq never dries. For their vicarious admirers, as Harold Pinter put it, uh, Pinter put it, the appalling consequences of their actions never happened. He goes, he goes on and on. On November um, 24th, International Day for Elimination of Violence Against Women, the feminist scholars Cynthia Coburn and Anne Oakley uh, attacked what they called certain widespread masculine traits and behaviours. They demanded that the culture of masculinity should be addressed as a policy issue. Testosterone was a problem, they claimed. They made no mention of a system of rampant state violence that has rehabilitated empire, creating 740,000 widows in Iraq and threatening whole societies from Iran to China. In other words, no, it's not. It's, 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 it's geopolitics and big business. This is not a culture, too, he says. Uh, their limited, though not untypical, indignation says much about how media-friendly identity and issue politics distracts from the systemic exploitation and war that remain the primary source of violence against both women and men and all children, I'd add to that as well. So they can distract you again with special interest groups and, 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 and get past actually mentioning the actual core of the problem. And to tie in with this, we've got rioting arsonists shot by police, could be shot by police, uh, this new review finds. Now, we'll remember uh, the, the the riots in England uh, this year, and nobody's ever really come out and said what well, really clinked it off, and why it spread. Was it a flash mob through their cell phones? What was it? Something else was behind this to, to make this happen at this time. But anyway, I was, I was waiting to see what was going to be the outcome of it because it's nothing, nothing's done uh, without a, for a, except for a reward. You see, it's like a sacrifice. A sacrifice religiously is always to get something back. You see, rioting arsonists could be shot by police. Arsonists attacks, attacking commercial properties with links to people's homes could be shot by police during future riots. An official review of police tactics has recommended, and it says here. The use of firearms could be justified, justified given the immediacy of the risk and gravity of the consequences, legal advice published in the review said. Plastic bullets and water cannon could also be used by officers facing riots similar to those seen this summer. The review by Her Majesty's Inspectorate of Constabulary added, it sounds awfully 18th century or 19th century, doesn't it? Police need to be better prepared, trained and ready to protect the public if they're to improve their response to similar scenes of violence and looting in the future. Now, you tie that in with what's coming down the pike when, when every country's broke. Broke because of all, all these political uh, globalist policies, like, like creating an EU, a combination of all these countries that eventually are merged together, and then when one area goes down, you've got to bail them out, and you borrow the money to bail them out. Then you've got to pay all that money back. Well, who pays it all back? The taxpayers pay it. And they're getting poorer and poorer and poorer. And again, too, that ties in the Club of Rome that talks about this kind of thing. They have to destroy the first world's civilizations, basically, and bring them down for sustainability reasons, they claim. So anyway, this article is to do with now they can use live rounds uh, if they want to. 
the next time there's a riot. Now, the riots might be you looking for food in the street. You don't know. You don't know, do you? The way things are going. And smart meters, again, this global grids, and they've got all articles up all over the place. Even IBM, I think it's got one on it, the global grid. But smart meters are part of it all, too. And uh, it's all t- it's just a spy in your home. I've read the articles before. It spies in your home, knows exactly what you're using, when you're using it. And technically, they can cut the darn thing off. That's been used, if they say you're using too much, that's coming down the pike as well. But ever since they put the darn things in, um, those who have got them always get a little chitty sent around from the company that owns them and, and, and owns all your power, uh, telling you that they're going to put your cost of power up by four to eight times. I think it was eight times in Ontario in the coming year, a few years. Smart meter technology is to drive up the cost of power, it says. This is Australia. At uh, charging customers more for electricity during the evening peak and less other times is among a raft of policy options contained in discussion paper made public yesterday. The plan would involve a statewide rollout of so-called smart meters, which have caused anger among some consumers whose bills have risen sharply. Other proposals put forward in the paper include minimum energy standards for appliances, rebates and green building regulations. There's also a bizarre plan allowing energy companies to remotely control home air conditioners in high demand periods in return for a discount at other times, a move experts say would hit Western Sydney hard. So everything's to go up, you see. And um, it says, after the Department of Climate Change and Energy Efficiency released the consultation paper for a proposed national energy savings initiative, Acting Greens leader Christine Milne claimed it was another great Greens idea coming to fruition. Australia's the test bed, uh, and they're going full steam ahead, full steam ahead with the carbon taxes and so on. It says smart meters monitor electricity usage in 30-minute intervals and feed information back to the energy company. They've got two or three methods of doing it. It sends out microwave. And you'll see you a little little white stick-looking thing on your telegraph pole near you, your power coming in. That's the antenna that receives it from the meter. And that's not a directional meter, by the way. It doesn't beam it just to that little stick there. It's, it's beaming all through your darn house as well. And so you should really insulate the, the inside of your house where the darn thing is. Unless you won't get nuked all day long, every half hour. And it's also FM as well, and, and other, even broadbands. The electricity, the lines itself, it can use them too. It's got a lot more potential built into it on purpose for the future. When you'll get told the next bit of bad news about them too. That's how they work, you see. So, Australia is going full steam ahead with it. And, the top U.S. general, again, he's a propaganda piece. Military op- option on Iran is executable if it's necessary. General Martin Dempsey says, miscalculation may draw the country into prolonged conflict, which will be a tragedy for the region and the world. So he keeps it brief, you see. Again, small clips of propaganda are far better uh, than a lot of stuff you can actually argue over, you see. And so that, that's basically it. And... Uh, it's a full steam ahead for Iran, and, and of course Syria is already falling apart with infiltrated to the brim with foreign agents. And there's also an article here about the United Nations wanting to get involved in the U.S. elections, 
And I'll put that up tonight too. It says here, this week when Attorney General Eric Holder announced his speech on voting rights, the Texas group True the Vote, it's called True the Vote, called for a protest of the event because Holder is for NAACP plans to involve the United Nations in U.S. elections. So I'll put that up for you to peruse if you're if you care about it. <laughs> a lot of folk don't really care. I don't think they care either, really, eventually, what kind of flag is above them. And I don't really believe in, in bowing down to flags anyway, because your country's going to be taken over so slickly in a few years. It's different altogether, and you're still worshipping the darn thing. Now, USF authorities have asked the authors of two controversial bird flu studies to redact key details after a government advisory panel suggested the data could be used by terrorists. So I guess they told them the steps necessary with the genes necessary to add to the, to the virus to weaponize it. The papers show how a bird flu variant can pass easily between ferrets. And of course, they use ferrets apparently for flu tests and so on. And actually to grow the stuff in as well. And it says, editors of the journal Science and Nature say they will not agree to their directions until they're assured the data will be accessible to researchers. I guess just the bacterial and viral warfare departments want to have power over all and knowledge of it. As a spokesman of the U.S. Health Authority said such a system was being prepared, and at least one set of scientists have already rewritten their paper in light of the recommendations, the science reports. Albert Osterhaus told Science's team completely disagreed with the recommendation of the panel, the National Science Advisory Board for Biosecurity. That's bacterial and viral warfare. But Mr. Osterhaus, who believes information should be made widely available, said an editorial explaining his team's genuine flexion to the panel as a condition of the paper's publication in science. It's so easy to alter the darn stuff today. I'm not worried about atom bombs. Some nutcase can do it. In their basement, probably. Back with more after this break. Hi, folks. We're back, cutting through the matrix, and we've got a caller in, on from New York on the line. Is Catherine? Are you there, Catherine? It's Karen. Karen, <laughs> sorry, Karen. How it's are my, you it's doing? my eyes. My eyes are all glazed after looking at this darn computer all day long. Yeah. <laughs> well, I appreciate you trudging through all this bad news, so people can like learn to see how things are, the truth. How are you doing? Not too bad. I'm, I'm trying to. Uh, actually, I, I get a lot of email from people who ask me what the answer is. But my job is not to give them an answer if they can't think for themselves. They're goners anyway. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but it's true. It's true. I mean, when people ask you what they should do, uh, it's up to them. They have a brain. They can see what's happening. And if they can't get out of the cities and uh, at least stock up on some food and stuff and and prepare for bad times, then what can you say? I mean, that's common sense. Well, those beavers know what to do. Your beavers out there. <laughs> Yes. The ones building the dams. (laughs) That's true. The the beavers never sleep there. And, of course, they're sleeping for the winter now, but they almost, well, they did flood the roads in the the fall there, in the late fall, uh, three times. And, uh, and of course, well, their dam was pulled down eventually. But people don't realize that that, that's how the agencies are and governments, etc. They never sleep. They've got shifts going round the clock working on what's next, what's next, what we tell the public next. 
And there's enough information out there, never mind what you can see with your own eyes happening in society. Um, if you need to be told what to do, uh, you've got a problem. See, most folk really are quite happy with their present conditions. They adapt. It's because we're an adaptable species. And they, they, here they are adapting um, to armoured vehicles with big gun turrets on them and putting them at school events. And so they're adapting and, and uh, they forget what they're adapting to. Yeah. 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 I was just going to talk about propaganda with you, but I don't think we have much time. I was thinking in terms of the King Arthur legends, and uh, mm-hmm. you, know, you have Geoffrey of Monmouth, or, or however you pronounce that, or Bidet, or from early times, and you had someone who was, you know, a real historical character, probably Welsh or Irish or something. And I was thinking in terms of like how it, you know, it progressed, and you have the Normans that take, you know, this myth and turn it into the myth of empire of Le Morte de Arthur, and then Tennyson, who is like a cousin or an uncle of Balfour, and then uh, you have, you know, again when the empire gets large, you have this myth built up again. And the way we look at it, you know, like if you have the sword and the stone, we see that kind of Disney version of things when really they might have been referring to alchemy or how a stone is made and a person who can, you know... Uh, Yeah, you'll find even the stone goes all the way back to Plato. Uh, And it talks about uh, a sort of medium, a world medium uh, that went through everything, everything organic and inorganic uh, into the stone. Uh, And the ancient Greeks knew even that atoms existed, they had atomic schools, they called them. I don't believe they just dreamed that up or knocked their heads enough to find out that there's actually atoms whirling around in there. Uh, somehow there's, there's an old technology, an old science that was either rediscovered or given to a specific few. But uh, the King Arthur's legend is, is uh, partly uh, uh, astrological, the, the zodiacal signs. Uh, you always have 12, you know. And, um, and of course Arthur is the bear, Arturus. And you'll find it goes back to France, is where it originated from. And I think they actually got it from the Middle East, even from from the old uh, Crusades. But it's about special people running the world and being the natural lords to rule it, to rule the world. It's the same thing as today, the technotronic or tech, uh, the tech, uh, technical society, really. That's what it's about. Well, I want to sneak a Merry Christmas into you. <laughs> and you too, and have a good one at that. Yeah. Thanks for calling. From Hamish Marcel, Frontier, Canada, it's good night to me, your God, or your God's go with you. <laughs>